All right, so we are in the, uh, the middle of the Advent season, and uh, if you're not familiar with the Advent season, uh, Advent simply is a Latin word for coming, and this was something that the church historically has, um, along with, with Easter, these are sort of the two main holidays, and Advent is sort of a time to look forward to the coming of our Lord in, in His incarnation, and it's a time to sort of reflect on what His coming brings. And so uh, we have been going through these um, readings in Isaiah. Uh, we read through Isaiah 35 this morning, and we've been looking at what the coming of Christ brings. So the last two weeks, Brent looked at hope and peace, and this week we're going to be looking at joy. The coming of, of Christ brings us joy. And, you know, joy is a huge uh, theme that's found in the, in the uh, infancy narratives in the Gospels. If you just read the beginning of Luke, you know, when Mary hears about the coming of Christ, she breaks out in song. Uh, that's the, uh, the famous uh, Magnificat that uh, is in uh, Luke, Luke uh, 1 and 2. And Zechariah breaks out in song, and, and all these other people break out in song when they hear of Christ coming. It's like it's almost as if they, they can't even hold it in, they just start singing. And also, if you remember, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they told the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy. And so... The fact that Christ brings joy is this massive theme uh, found throughout really all of the gospel narratives. And it's a massive theme found in this passage here in Isaiah 35. Uh, it's just 10 verses long, and yet the word joy or rejoicing or singing uh, is mentioned about seven or eight times. And um, so it's this massive theme found throughout this, this scripture, and it's all centered around this prophecy of God coming to save. And what Isaiah wants, uh, wants for us and wants for us to understand is that when Christ comes, as, as he says in verse 10, if you guys want to look here, and if you guys are there in Isaiah 50, uh, 35, rather, is that the coming of Christ brings everlasting joy. The coming of Christ brings us everlasting joy. And this is going to be the theme of our talk this morning, is that Christ brings us everlasting joy. Not just occasional joy, not just joy sometimes, but everlasting joy that never ends. And before we jump into our text this morning, I just want you to think, is your life characterized by joy, if you could be honest? And I think if, if all of us are honest, the answer is a definite no. Right? When I was thinking about that uh, this week, I was like, what is my life characterized by right now? <laughs> you know? uh, anxiety. Uh, stress, uh, sleeplessness with two kids, you know, uh, poopy diapers, right? My life is characterized by a lot of things, but it's not characterized by joy, right? And, and we could probably look back, you know, in years past and see genuine moments when we were very joyful. But how long did that joy last, right? That joy lasted maybe for a couple days, maybe even for a few weeks, you know, I remember very distinctly when my children were born, I was rejoicing. Also, I faint, almost fainted the first time, right? But I was rejoicing. And I remember when we had Eliza, I was rejoicing. But for how long did I rejoice, right? I rejoiced until the second sleepless night. And then I said, okay, Eliza, we got it. Let's make a deal here, okay? <laughs> right? And Eliza actually had colic for the first month. And that joy lasted about two days, and then it turned into annoyance, and then it turned into anger or, you know, maybe even bitterness, you know. 
I went through a lot of emotions during that first month, you know? But the point is that joy, for most of us, is at best occasional. And for some of us, joy is hard to be found. Maybe we look back in our lives and we say, you know, I, I, I can't even remember the last time I was genuinely happy. Is my mic, is my mic off there? Hello? Are we good? It's on? Okay. We can't remember the last time we were genuinely happy. And I actually did some research uh, this week, and I found out that America is ranked third, just under China and India, as the most depressed country in the world. Okay. It's the most depressed, or sorry, the third most depressed country in the world. And, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine why, because, you know, we're in this time where we are very, you know, for lack of a better term, very advanced, right? We live longer, we have more things, we have bigger houses, we have bigger cars, we have smaller computers, you know? <laughs> we have bigger, uh, you know, more technology, more scientific knowledge. You know, 30 years ago, we would have never dreamed that we would have these little things called iPhones or Androids that, you know, you can, you can use GPS, you can get on Google, you can, uh, you, you know, you can get on uh, Facebook, and so on. We would have never dreamed that we would have those things. And yet, all of that stuff has, it hasn't made us any happier. And why is that, right? The answer is not clear. But we're not any happier, even though we live longer, we have more stuff, you know, we have bigger houses, and so on. And, you know, even during the holidays, this time that's supposed to be bringing us joy and anticipation and so on, uh, for a lot of people, it brings depression. More than any time in the year, the winter holidays bring depression more than happiness. But what Isaiah wants for us and what God wants for us is he wants for us to have everlasting joy. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. How do we have everlasting joy? Where do we get it? And uh, so we're going to be talking about three points from this passage. Uh, the first, and they're going to be all, uh, they're going to be where, why, and how, basically. So, where can our joy be found? Or what is the source of our joy? I guess what, why, and how. What is the source of our joy? Why is it found there? And how can we get it? So those are the three points we're going to be talking about. What is the source of our joy? Why is it found there? And how can we get it? All right, so let's go ahead and dive into our passage, in, into our first point here. What is the source of everlasting joy. What is the source of everlasting joy? And very simply, Isaiah tells us that lasting joy, joy that is not occasional, joy that doesn't go away with, with the ups and downs of life, lasting joy is found in the presence of the Lord. It's found in the presence of the Lord. And uh, we can find this in, in a few places in this passage where it talks about, in verse 4, it talks about, Behold, your God is coming. And then at the very end of the passage, it talks about the ransomed of the Lord returning to Zion with singing. Okay, And what Isaiah is picking up on is he's picking up this, uh, on this large motif found in the Old Testament of exile and return. Exile and return. It's found all throughout the Old Testament. And Isaiah, as Brenda has been saying, is, is written uh, to Israel, who at the time of these prophecies are in exile. They have been exiled from their land. Uh, and they're under the uh, oppression of Babylon. And <clears throat> just a short history of Israel, you know, God redeemed Israel from bondage to Egypt. 
and he brought them through the desert, and it tells us that he bought, uh, brought them into this lush land. And after he brought them in there, he made a covenant with them, and he told them to set up a temple. And what, is the, what was the point of the temple? What was the, the point was, that so, uh, was so that God could dwell with his people. It was so that God could dwell with his people. And there was nothing special about Israel except for this one thing, that the glory of the Lord was in the midst of Israel. That was the, that was the only thing that was special about it. That's what uh, Paul says in Romans 9. He says that, that you know, Israel wasn't anything special except that they had the glory, is what he said. They had the very presence of God dwelling in the midst of them. And yet, they fell into idolatry, uh, they fell into sin, and we're told that the glory left the temple. And Israel was left defenseless, and then all these nations came in, filled the void, and enslaved them once again, and, and, and they were taken from their land, and subsequently taken from the presence of the Lord. And Isaiah says, listen, when you lost the presence of the Lord, you lost your joy. When you lost the presence of the Lord, you lost the joy that is everlasting. And, you know, this, uh, this theme of, of exile and return, it's, it's much larger than, than, than even Israel. If we think about the creation story, when God created Adam and Eve, it tells us that he created Adam and Eve and he put them in this lush land, much like Israel. And it says in Genesis 3 that the glory of the Lord was there, that God used to take walks with them in the garden. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were exiled from Eden, from the land. And so this is not just a story of Israel. This is the story of all of humanity. That because of our sin, we have been exiled. And the great hope of the prophets is that one day, the glory of the Lord will return. And that one day, we will uh, return to Zion with singing. And Isaiah says, listen, when that happens, when you return into the midst of God's presence, your joy will be made full. Right, verse 10, your everlasting joy will be upon your, on your heads and you will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Right? So that is the great hope of this passage is that joy is found only in the presence of the Lord. Right? Not occasional joy, but everlasting joy. Joy that lasts throughout the hard and the good times. Joy that lasts throughout the, 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 you know, the highs and the lows and so on. That is the hope of of Israel, and it's our hope that our joy will be found when we are uh, in his presence. All right, so that's, uh, that's where our joy is found. But I want to move on to our, our second point here and just ask, why is joy found there? Right? Why is everlasting joy only found in the presence of the Lord? Because there are lots of things in this life that bring us joy, right? Babies, marriage, uh, friendships, nice cars, and so on. But if we're honest, those things don't, you know, the joy, the joy over those things doesn't last. Why is it only God that gives us everlasting joy? And there, there are two reasons why, and, and they're found in this passage. <clears throat> On the, and, and one is a positive reason, and one is a negative reason. The first reason is that God is our only infinite source of joy simply because of who he is. Okay? And I just want you to look here at uh, at these verses, what happens to the ground if you look at verses 1 and 2, and what happens to us when we come into God's presence? If you look here in verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. 
You ever think of ground being glad, but that's what it says. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, and it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with, sing, uh, with, with joy in singing. And the glory of Le- Lebanon shall be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and, and uh, Sharon that shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Jump down to verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the, of the deaf unstopped, and the lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, and the burning sand shall become a pool. Right? What is Isaiah saying? When we return into the presence of the Lord, life comes out of death. Right? That, that's what he's saying. The blind shall see, the deaf will hear, the mute will sing, the lame will leap. Wherever there is anything lacking, it's filled with the glory and the life of God. And why does that happen? Why does God's life break out like that? Why is there transformation that happens like that? Well, it's because of who God is. God is, as St. Anselm said, God is that than which nothing greater can be thought. And what he means is this. Think of something good. God is more infinitely good. Think of something loving. God is more infinitely loving than you can even imagine. Think of something happy. God is more infinitely happy than you can ever imagine. In other words, God is the only infinite source. Okay? And what I mean by that is everything in this world has had a beginning and it'll have an end. God, on the other hand, has never had a beginning and he will never have an end. In fact, Paul says God needs nothing in Acts 17 and he says In him we have our being. God is the only unending source of happiness and life and joy because of the very fact of who he is. He's not a created being. He's the source of all things. He is in himself an unending fount of joy. And I just want you to think about about this. Think about the Trinity, Sometimes I think, you know, we, we, we think of the Trinity as sort of this abstract doctrine that we have to affirm, but really doesn't touch our lives. But think about the Trinity. Before God created the world, what was he doing? Was he, you know, this, you know was he lonely that he needed us? Right, did he create us so that he, we could give him some fellowship? And the answer is no. What the Trinity means is that God in and of himself is an eternal community of love and joy and happiness and life and giving and receiving and reciprocating and so on. God in and of himself is this self-contained unit of eternal joy and happiness. And Isaiah says, listen, when we come into that presence, when we come into his presence, life springs out of nowhere. Mute people cannot help but sing his praises. Right? Deaf, uh, deaf people cannot help but hear. Blind people cannot help but see. Because God in and of himself is this unending fount of joy. That's what Isaiah wants us to understand. When we come into his presence, there is this fullness of joy that happens. It's because of who he is. And I just want you to think about this. As advanced as science gets, right? we can't create life out of nothing. 
as advanced as science gets. You know, we can't create the perfect iPhone. We have to keep on coming out with a new one, right? <laughs> and the second that we get the iPhone 6, we want to get the iPhone 7. God is never boring. God in himself is never boring. When Moses met with God in Exodus, you guys remember the burning bush story? The bush that's burning and it's not consumed. And Moses is like, what is going on here? You know? And he says, who are you? And God says, I am. Tell him, I am. And that's God's name throughout the entire Bible. Jesus calls himself that. What does that name mean? Well, it doesn't mean I was, and it doesn't mean I might be, right? It means I am. In myself, I am existence. In myself, I am love. In myself, I am happiness. In myself, I am joy. In other words, God is self-sustaining. He doesn't need anyone, and yet we're infinitely in need of him. Right? So that, that's the positive side. The negative side is this. Nothing else is like that, right? Nothing else is like God. Everything else has had a beginning, and everything else will have an end. Everything else is dependent upon something, in other words. And that means that nothing and no one can bring you ultimate happiness, okay? Because it will eventually run out. You can think about the honeymoon stage of a dating relationship, right? When you first start dating somebody, you're just totally overjoyed, and why? Well, this person actually loves, likes me, you know? <laughs> this person's going to go get dinner with me. Wow, that's amazing, right? This is amazing. I am overjoyed at this. And I remember when Andrew and I first started dating, and then when we got married, we went on this honeymoon. It was amazing. And then into our first year of marriage, I started to be like, wow, this person's a sinner, Right? <laughs> this, this person isn't infinitely patient with me. You know, I wanted her to wash my clothes then, and she still hasn't done it. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, well, anyways. <laughs> I can't really say, I don't really wash the clothes in the house, so that was a bad thing to say. Anyways, let's, let's put that away. <laughs> but when you get into a, you know, when you get into a relationship, there's, there's a period of about two or three months where you're like, that my joy is, is overflowing right now, and then eventually what happens, the fountain dries up. Because you realize, oh, we're two sinners in this relationship, and we're driving ourselves nuts. And when you look for infinite joy in someone else, that's called a codependent relationship. Because no one else can give you the joy that only God can give. And when you look for joy in things, that's called idolatry. Because nothing else in this world can give joy like God can give. And that's why iPhone has to keep on coming out with new models. Because eventually the 6 Plus isn't big enough. And then we have to come out with the 7 Plus Plus, right? Which is like the size of an iMac, you know? The point is that we have to keep on reinventing the wheel. We have to keep on coming out with new things in order to keep our happiness because nothing else is an endless fount of joy. That's what Isaiah wants to tell us. The problem is that there is this common narrative 
that the more I have, the more I'll be happy. If I can only get this, then I'll finally be happy. You know, my, I drive my wife nuts buying books because that's exactly what I think. If I can only get this book, I'm a theology nerd. If I can only get this theology book, then I will have all of the biblical knowledge in the world, you know? And I buy it and I read it and I said, you know, that was a pretty good book, but I need this book, right? And then before you know it, you have 50 books in your living room, on your dinner table, right? And your wife says, ah, take these to the office, you know? The point is that we always want more. We want more money, we want bigger houses, we want more cars, we want more kids, and so on. But the more that you have, right, you know that saying, more money, more problems, right? That's totally true. The more that you have, the more problems. The more money you make, the more responsibilities, the more people you oversee at work, the more stresses you have, right? The bigger house, the more upkeep you have to do. The more kids, the more poopy diapers you have to change. And more than that, you know, you also raise them. The point, though, is that the more you have, the more responsibility, the more you have to oversee. These things cannot give and give and give and give like God does. God is this endless fountain of grace. And he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And he never says, I'll keep giving as long as you give back. Because that's who God is. God is an infinite source. Because in and of himself, he is this perfect, self-sustaining community of love and life and joy. And that's why when we come into collision with God, death springs out of, out of nowhere. A pool comes out of a desert. The deaf hear, right? The mute speak and so on. It's because God is giver. And God is grace. And God is infinite. That's who he is. And so Isaiah says, he is our only infinite of joy because of who he is and because of who we aren't. We aren't him, right? You know, St. Augustine famously said in, uh, at, the, at the beginning of his, of his confessions that God has made us for himself and we're restless until we find our rest in him. That's the message of this passage. That's the message of, of Advent is that we're constantly going to be Restless, moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, until we find our rest in him. Nothing brings ultimate happiness like God. <clears throat> and so that's why God is our only source of joy, our only infinite source of joy. Let's move on to our, our last point here, which is how, how do we get that joy? Where do we get it for, uh, in other words, how can we uh, bring it into our, to our own life? And if you look here, uh, just at the very middle of this passage in verses 3 and 4, Isaiah gives an application, and he tells us how to get that joy. And so let's go ahead and read that. Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. And say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come to save you. All right, so... Keep in mind that Isaiah is speaking to Israel, and they were on, you know, the other side of the incarnation. But Israel was in this, this exile, this, this tough spot in their nation. And it would be easy for them to say, you know what? Once we get 
out of Babylon and back into the land, things will be good. Right? Once we rebuild the temple, things will be all right. And the problem is that that is actually what happened. They got out from underneath the thumb of Babylon, but then Rome came and put them under their thumb. And then they rebuilt the temple, but Herod was the king of the temple then. And so even when they rebuilt the temple and got out, outside of Babylon, they still didn't have joy. And Isaiah says, listen, don't look to your situation. Don't look to what you have or what you don't have. Look to the coming of God. That's what Isaiah is trying to say. It is only when God breaks into this world, it is only when his glory has fully come into our fallen situation that joy will be restored. That's what Isaiah wants to say. And now, like I said, you know, we're on the other side of the incarnation. And what is the incarnation? What is Jesus? Well, John 1 tells us, <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Word, the second person of the Trinity. And when Jesus came, God came, and it says in John 1.14, tabernacled among us in Jesus Christ. And that's a clear reference to Israel when the glory of God was in the midst of the people in, in the tabernacle and in, in the temple. And what John wants to say is that God's presence has finally broken into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is our joy. Because what happened when Christ came into this world? You guys remember in the Gospels? He opened the ears of the deaf. Right? He opened the mouth of the mute. He helped the lame walk. He breathed life and joy back into our world. And in fact, what is the resurrection? But joy breaking forth in new life. What Jesus brought was the very presence of God and the very presence of joy. That's what he brought. And so what is the application for us? How do we get the joy? We look to Christ. And what's involved in that is, what are you putting your ultimate happiness in right now? Right? Where is your joy right now? Is it in Christ? Is it in your spouse? Is it in your kids? Is it in your paycheck? Is it in your new Mercedes car? If you have a new Mercedes, I'd like to look at it, by the way. But, right? Is it in your things? In what you have in your situations? Or is it in Christ? Because only in Christ can we find the fullness of joy because the very presence of God, the very glory of God that Moses saw in the burning bush has come to be present in our world and he has transformed it through his very death and resurrection. And so Isaiah says, look. Look to Christ. Right? Look to the coming of God in Christ. He is your fullness of joy. And if you remember, you know, the wise men, these, you know, these pagan uh, priests, when they came to visit Christ, it says that they were overjoyed and they gave him their treasures. That's what Jesus wants from us. And he says, if you give me everything, I will give you the fullness of joy. I will give you a life that has ups and downs and will be very hard, but you will be happy. That's what Christ promises us. So let's pray. 
<clears throat> Father, we just uh, thank you that you gave your son. And <clears throat> this Christmas season, help us to realize that in him there is joy. That in him God has come. That in him the glory has finally broken into our situation. And uh, help us to fix our eyes upon him and take our eyes off of other things that cannot promise the joy that he gives. And so we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.